Welcome to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, where no question is too dark, no topic too taboo. Join us to explore sexuality, self-help, and politics with our expert guests and friends. We believe that sexual rights are human rights and that we can all create a brighter world through education and conversation. I am a parent, I am a certified holistic sex educator, I am a longtime sex worker and adult industry entertainer. My name is Elle Stanger and I'm a host of Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name's John. You might know me as the audio engineer and editor of last season's podcast. I'm now returning as a co-host for season two. I'm a 22-year-old gay man and activist who will share my perspective in the coming season. Join us while we explore and uncover the things that make us squirm, make us shiver, make us tingle in delight. Because sex and politics can make for some very strange bedfellows. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows Podcast, your self-help, sex, and politics podcast. We are based out of Portland. My name is Elle Stanger. Hi, John. Hey, how's it going? Hey. You can learn more about your hosts on strangebedfellowspdx.com and find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash strangebedfellows. Today, our guest is Dr. Rosalind Deschavo. She is the founder of the Institute for Sexuality, Education, and Enlightenment, also known as ICE, a professional training program with online learning and webinars, as well as classes in the Northeast and now the Pacific Northwest, such as Portland. She is a new appointee to the board of directors of the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, also known as ASECT. She is a professor, former marriage and family therapist, and an ASECT certified sexuality educator and supervisor. She possesses a Master of Arts in Marriage and Family Therapy and a Doctor of Education in Human Sexuality. She was the director of both the Women's Center and the Health Education Office at the University of Hartford from 1999 to 2006. Dr. DeShavo has been presenting retreats, workshops, and lectures on topics related to wellness, spirituality, sex, and gender issues for over 30 years. Damn. Damn. Makes me sound old. (laughs) List of credentials. Makes you sound Yeah. Well, you started. I don't sound just experienced. I sound old. (laughs) You you started really young, though. I did. So you can find Dr. Roz at info at instituteforsexuality.com. How old were you when you started doing sex therapy? Well, I didn't actually do a lot of sex therapy. It was always sex education and health education. I did addictions counseling, and I started out in addictions, uh, and that was also a prevention, right? So, you know, when you did prevention back then, it was really, it started out as sort of, let's scare you out of doing drugs and alcohol, and of course that doesn't work. Mm. And then it ends up being that the most effective way to help people reduce the risk of doing Um, you know, drugs and alcohol in a harmful way is by a broad brush health promotion effort. And so I became a health educator very young, I would say I was 19 when I started. Wow. Yeah. So I've been doing sex education my entire life. Just most of the time it was part time until the last 
10 years or so. Okay. And 10 years ago about was when you created the school? Actually, it's eight now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I saw John nodding over there. So a little bit about John's background is you've had some psychiatry appointments in your life and you talked about being on medication and yeah, yeah, we've talked about addiction stuff before and the, um, the scaring tactics. Yeah. Mm. The, the commonly used like dare tactics for a while, which they're now like slowly backstepping from. And recently, like a year ago, they took a weed off the list as a quote unquote gateway drug. Really? Um, And dare? Dare. Really? In the state of California? Yes. Okay. I wonder about anywhere Mm. else. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. Dare is the, the organization was trying to regain some legitimacy after their scare tactics campaign. Huh. And promote more of the harm reduction values that exist within the the drug using community. Okay. Um, but they're still not all the way there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Nor are they anywhere near close? When we talk about drugs and scaring tactics in terms of like sex and drugs and any activity. Um, so you've been involved in all of these things for a while. What kind of? I mean, were you you were doing sex education around the AIDS crisis in the nineties? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. What can you tell me about that? Because Ugh. I've seen you become emotional when you talk about the need for people to use condoms. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, yeah, it's a, it's pretty rough for those of us who went through the AIDS crisis at that time because we lost a lot of people. Um, we lost an entire generation of incredibly creative, amazing people. Um, and uh, it is emotional. And it's interesting to watch what's happening now because we have... Uh, we have a conflict between the desire to not create stigma around people who are HIV positive and the need for prevention of people, you know, of more incidence of it. Mm-hmm. And so what you have is you have PrEP, which is, has been a game changer to some extent. And then you actually have members of even, you know, very activist gay communities, for instance, that are starting to become concerned about PrEP being sort of... Um, a, misused a, yeah like a blanket approach misused and then what happens when these these drugs stop working because people aren't working using them correctly or perfectly mm-hmm. or they're just getting saturated and now we have resistant strains mm-hmm. do we now have trouble because of people instead of using condoms people are using prep so it's on the one hand it's it is a game changer it's um, probably going to prevent a tremendous amount of uh, new um Mm -hmm. cases and new infections but on the other hand what is the overall health of the communities you know as a result and we just don't know the answer to that yet Mm -hmm. there's so many issues I mean a lot of people I've never really heard anyone say I love using condoms like I hear a lot of people be like I hate condoms but I use them or I I hate condoms and and I don't use them you know (laughs) but um yeah thank you for saying that that's really important uh because even with all the new developments in birth control, people still, you know, women who are fucking cis men or anybody who could get pregnant mm-hmm. is not using a barrier. So if someone's like, oh, I'm on the next plan on or I have the IUD and I'm like, OK, cool. But you're Tinder dating. So right. are you <laughs> using, you know, right. it's been really fascinating to watch because um, condom use, is, the perception of condom use is really a huge kind of I I hate to be uh you know too geeky about this but it's kind of a fascinating social phenomenon because the truth is that you know no one no one loves them right except for what they do and on the other hand they don't have to be that big of a deal 
And it's almost like it's become uncool to use them. I've literally heard people call themselves purists. I'm like, I'm a purist. What? I don't use a condom. Yeah. No. And, I, and I'm sort of like, uh, no, no. you're actually the opposite of a purist if you don't use condoms. No. You probably have six different kinds of infections oh around God. your body right now. But oh my God. yeah. And I mean, it is a personal choice, right? So, I mean, far be it from me to make that choice for anybody else. On the other hand, as a health educator, and a sex educator for as long as I've been, I watched us go through a period where almost no one I knew used condoms when I was in high school. And then everyone started using them Mm -hmm. when I was in college because we were all terrified of HIV. Mm. You know, we were terrified of getting it. And all of a sudden it was no big deal. Like everybody was just carrying them around. It wasn't a big deal. People weren't bitching about having to use them. And the incidence of HIV, we thought at that time, you know, in the field of health education that HIV was the HIV infection was absolutely going to go exponentially through the roof, which of course it did in some other countries. Communities, yeah. Um, but because of the condom use and because of really amazing, you know, activist groups, most of which came out of gay communities, gay male communities and queer communities, we started we didn't see that kind of uh, prevalence or in incidence, mm-hmm. and. That's why it's so hard, right, to watch this, you know, 20 or 30 year turnaround where now all of a sudden people are very contemptuous of condom use and I don't think I should have to use that and barebacking is expected. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it's sort of like, but wait a minute, it was it was fine. People were just sort of using it and dealing with it for quite a long time. And now all of a sudden you know, it's just hard, right? It's, it's a, a culture yeah, change. Totally. Yeah. It's the new generations that don't remember because they weren't alive for it. You know, I was a kid and I remember hearing about HIV. I mean, yeah. this reminds me a little bit about vaccines, just as like a short, quick parallel observation, like, hmm. you know, how, because we haven't had the problem for a while, people oh, think that it's no like longer polio, necessary to protect measles. yourself and right. that those things can't come back. Right. Right. Uh, they don't remember. They yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, no, I've, I've definitely... I can't relate to living through that time period because I was a... You're 22. Wee boy. Yeah, um, or not even born in the 80s. Yeah, so yeah. now I the only thing that I have like as a frame of reference is a couple movies. Um, one of them was something like The Loving Heart where there's uh, two gay men growing up um, during the AIDS crisis and they find each other and like there's that song that plays like, I wish I knew you when I was young mm. and one of them gets AIDS and dies. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it's super depressing. And then I look at real life pictures of the San Francisco gay men's choir um, mm-hmm. of They're, like back then and today. And then they did this thing once where they dressed up all the surviving members in black and everyone else was in regular colors. And you just see like 90% of the gay men's choir, like all died during the from epidemic. HIV. Yeah. yeah. In San Francisco. So yeah, that's, you look at that and you're like, Oh fuck. There's like a whole generation of like potential like teachers who, and like community contributors who never ended up being mm-hmm. alive because we didn't have the science and medicine that we do now. Mm-hmm. And now people are putting themselves again at risk for that. Although we can now mitigate things with like viral loads and like the the spread of infection. But like once you have it, we don't yeah, have a cure for de- it. And only we if you can afford to deal with it anyway. Yeah, that's right. There's an accessibility issue. And the other piece that I find very disturbing when I watch um, documentaries about this and I hear people talking about it is oh I'm positive so I don't have to worry about condom use anyway oh my god there are so many strains of HIV and some of them are extremely virulent and and aggressive really yeah multiple strains of HIV oh many yeah there are many so you can get 
infected with another strain. Yeah. And now you have two strains and one of them might be much more aggressive than the the one that, the one that you already have. So people are totally unaware of that. Huh. Well, so damn. John's using like two condoms. No, now. that's worse. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I'm kidding. God. <laughs> I know that the friction will cause it to destroy each condom. Thank you. Good condom and lube is good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I had to work uh how long? 5 years since the day she like met me basically to like get me to she was like, oh, you're going to sleep with a stranger tonight in Portland? And I was like, yes, I am. And I'm like, she's like, use protection. And I'm like, I don't plan on it. And then five years later, I'm like, okay, fine. Now that I'm in like a monogamous relationship, I'll use condoms. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And it did, from my recollection, it did not go well. Every time you don't take my advice. But, you know. Elle is always right. Uh, yeah. Well, in terms of what John should do, like ninety percent of the time, yeah. <laughs> true. Um, <laughs> oh, so it's that kind of relationship. It's that. It's I am. I am big sister She's for my sure. Big sister, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, and also, I get to make jokes that he doesn't get because I forget that I'm a decade older than him. So I'm like, cool. I'm no longer the youngest person in the room. <laughs> this is a fun straddle. Um, having seen things change, I've heard you talk about um, pornography and its impact on people. Yes. Um, and this is also a really hot potato issue because we love porn. You know, mm -hmm. like John and I, we watch porn. Yeah, I, I make porn. Absolutely. You know, you webcam. So, yeah. but there's no denying that there's some really violent like questionable i mean i've seen collections of porn and they used to publish these of like porn bloopers but a lot of time like the worst one one of the worst ones i saw was like a woman who was vomiting because she was nervous because she was going to do like a 10-man gangbang scene oh, wow. and it oh, wasn't wow. like in the days of treating women well during those you know so it's like these women knew that they were going to do these scenes and maybe they'd get paid a lot but it was just going to be a brutal like God. experience Ugh. so yeah so that exists and we know that um and so it's hard when people are like porn is bad, porn is evil. But then we also have to be like, well, but we need to remind people that it's supposed to be entertainment. Yeah. Right. So my thing about that is, is it's porn literacy, right? Porn, knowing what we need to know about porn is it's about media liter literacy and porn is media. So, you know, it's not so much that we don't watch it or that it's evil or it's bad. It's that people don't understand the impact that porn has um, as an unconscious motivator for their behaviors. And that's also okay. But I also think there are a lot of extreme and aggressive behaviors out there that are awesome if you also know how to not be extreme and aggressive when you or your partner don't want to be, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. In other words, what I see is a lot of people who actually are craving the other end of things, not all the time, but on a regular basis, like, hey, I just want to be softer and gentler. And, and this is all genders, by the way. I see this as much in cis men, for instance, as I do in anybody else. And what happens is people don't know how to do that anymore. They, they, they think that their partners expect some kind of banging, you know, mm -hmm. some kind of really hard. And so even if that's not what they want, that's where they go automatically. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I find really interesting, but also somewhat disturbing is people's complete inability to connect intimately no matter what kind of sex they're having. So I don't care, you know, you can have incredibly aggressive, hardcore, kinky sex um, of lots of different types and be completely intimately connected with your partner. Mm -hmm. But that's not what a lot of people are doing. They're kind of what I hear is a lot of disconnect, like don't look in my eyes. That's mm -hmm. weird. You know, mm. oh, you're freaking me out. You're looking in my eyes right <laughs> now. And 
It's I'm like, laughing because I relate. Yeah. It's yeah, like my okay. favorite thing to like look straight into the eyes of my boyfriend while he's fucking me. But like, you love him. Yeah. Yeah. True. Okay. But even if you don't, I mean, can't you look at a partner uh, with gratitude or appreciation or yeah. even just playfully? Yeah. Right. You could easily playfully look in someone's eyes and make that sort of friendship connection like, hey, this is fun. Right. Yeah. But even that is freaking people out. It mm-hmm. might be like anxiety for some people. Um, even in regular situations, like eye contact can be like a trigger, but then you probably shouldn't be entering the situation if you're unable to make eye contact with the person who's having sex with you. You're speaking from your experience. For, yeah. yeah, for you, me at least. Yeah. yeah, when you say a trigger, do you mean just some kind of like mania? Uh, no, just to like anxiety. Okay. To, like, you know, like direct eye contact for like long periods of time used to bother me a lot. Mm-hmm. And I by long away. periods of time, I mean longer than like three seconds. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now it's gotten a lot better where I can actually, you know, have that sort of, uh, that sort of eye contact in social situations. And during sex now, which has been a a wild improvement over back when I couldn't even look my own personal trainer in the eye. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, that was a, that was a problem for me at the time. You had a hot trainer and it was very difficult. Was he hot? Um, it was he wasn't he wasn't even my type it was just the fact that he was like a male who was older than me here come the daddy issues (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no i was just like nope no eye contact no eye contact is safest so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of anxiety in general when we're talking about sex and porn anyway yeah yeah porn needs to be read the same way that you would read harry potter (laughs) exactly oh look this is really fun and there's a ton of cool stuff happening in it but none of it is necessarily real. <laughs> like right. ass to mouth. I yeah. don't know. Like people see this and they didn't necessarily do an enema, you know. Yeah. Right. Or like exactly. Talk about like, any and you kind know this screening. person who's going on shoot has just done like an enema. They've they have like baby wipes on hand, like it's a fucking mountain. And like, they got a needle yeah. in their arm to check their blood every twelve days that yeah. they have to report to a porn database or else they can't get hired. And yep. they've had prep time, right? So yeah. we've talked about um Jessica. Oh, what is her last name? Drake. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So Jessica Drake, I mean, part of the reason that she started doing sex ed is because she was having, uh, you know, PR dates where they were going out, meet meet Jessica Drake, and people were coming up to her and saying, oh, I just can't do anal the way you do. I'm just so jealous. Mm. How do you do it? And she was like, wait a minute. I have 20 to 30 minutes of prep time before they start <laughs> filming. Didn't you know that? And I wish I had 20 to 30 minutes of prep time every time before I had sex. Mm, like, you could. Yeah, I know. But like sometimes you're like sitting on the couch and then you get horny and... <laughs> Yeah. I'm so lucky I have a vagina. I don't want to have to I do know, the prep right? ass stuff is more stressful for me. <laughs> so much more stressful. Um, Jessica Drake is wonderful. She's a porn star. She worked for a big production company, Wicked, for a long time. She was a contract star. John, you don't remember any of this. No. But okay, I follow her on Instagram. She follows me back. Yay. <laughs> There's a giant, her face is uh, on a giant billboard right next to my strip club right now. Oh, nice. Because, yeah, an adult expo is coming to town. So that's really cool. Um, but that's wonderful. I remember that interview. Mm-hmm. When she was like, oh, my God, my fans, my poor fans, like they feel bad about themselves. Yeah. And she goes to a lot of our conferences. She goes to ASECT conference. She goes to Catalyst Con. So you can see her around. She's an activist. Damn. That's awesome. So some of what you were saying is people being able to be more in the moment. Yeah. So and just to wrap up porn, I do want to say, because yeah, I know people are going to hear that and go, oh, she's anti-porn. I'm yeah. so not anti-porn. I just think that whatever it is you're watching or doing, you want to expand your capacity one way or another, right? That it's nice to expand your capacity. So if you're really into um, 
aggressive, more aggressive kind of sex, then it's nice to be able to expand into gentler. And if you're really into gentler sex, it's nice to be able to expand into more playful or more aggressive or what have you. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not a mandate, obviously, anybody Mm -hmm. can do what they want. But I just want to make sure that I kind of cap that off by saying, I just think it, it makes us stuck when we can only feel pleasure from one, one or two types of sexual behavior. Mm -hmm. So The Deep Yes is a book that I wrote because um, what I noticed, of course, I, I, I'm a student of Tantra, and I practice Tantra, and it's a Himalayan version of Tantra. And um, what I learned in Tantra is that there is there are, are four specific energies that are some of the most um, common that we can get in touch with. And one of them is, is a receiving energy. Traditionally, it was considered a feminine energy. I don't know that you need to look at it that way. What it really is, is taking in. And um, I look at it, you know, what most people call masculine energy, I think of as kind of like an electric energy. And what a lot of people think of as feminine energy, I think of it as magnetism. 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 Okay, okay. so you so, think of feminine energy like... Well, I think of that energy as magnetic as opposed to putting a feminine label on it. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. However, because we think of receiving energy as feminine, it has been denigrated Mm -hmm. because we denigrate the feminine in our society. Mm -hmm. And so receiving is, is looked down upon by people of many genders. And so if you go into a room and you say, would you rather give or receive? Most people say they'd rather give. And that's really interesting because, you know, it's obviously not socially acceptable to say, I want to receive, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, because people think of it, they, they uh, confuse receiving with taking. Is there any bottoming shame that comes up, John? Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> that's like half the grinder community. If you look at their bios, either straight passing only, like straight passing bottoms only, or like all sorts of stuff like Which that. Which means not effeminate or feminine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all sorts of stuff about how there's like way more bottoms on grinder that there than there are tops. Um, and then there's a debate about whether that's because people are not willing to put in the work or because like there's actual preference there. But I mean, interesting, but that's what I'm hearing coming up. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's more, even my boyfriend and I like make casual jokes about it. He's like, ha, you're a bottom. And I'm like, like you're a little bitch. (laughs) I'm like, I know that you're ticklish and I'm not. So, uh, which (laughs) one of us is dead inside? I can go three rounds. (laughs) Let's go. But that's what you're talking about. I mean, so that's what I'm hearing Ross say. There's, there's like a weird feeling about receiving. Yeah. Yeah. So go on. So I think there, what, what I notice is that there are more bottoms everywhere in all, you know, all different orientations, all different genders. If you Hmm. go into kink communities, there's way more people wanting to bottom than wanting to top. And um, that's not what people who aren't kinky understand. They they think that everybody's out there trying to dominate. But if you're in a lot of kink communities, there's so much more uh, people wanting to bottom than top. And I think that's because we have absolutely no idea how to receive in our regular daily lives. And so it, of course, moves into our sex lives, which are thrown into the shadow to begin with, right? Mm. So if we need this desperately, where can we go where it's socially acceptable? If we need to receive, well, in the kink communities, receiving is valued. Yeah. 
Mm. And I'm not saying that's why people are kinky. People are kinky for all different reasons and largely because it's fun. <laughs> but, <laughs> but at the same time, I'm not surprised at all by the fact that no one wants to top when they get into yeah. a public kink forum. You know, it's people are tired of being the actor, being mm-hmm. the giver, mm-hmm. and they would like to just relax. Yeah, mm-hmm. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Everybody just wants to relax. Life is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been funny too, though, because like recently my boyfriend has been like, I want to get fucked more. And I'm like, medications aside, I am versatile. So Do let you... me get back to you. <laughs> oh, yeah, because your meds can impact your erection. Yeah, so I'm out at a very high dosage of benzodiazepines, mm-hmm. um, four milligrams of clonopin a day, which will definitely make it difficult for you to stay erect, um, which is random because like there are times when like arousal non-concordance, like I'll be riding like a Lyft or an Uber like or, a, or the bus and I'll just get like a boner for like half an hour oh, for no, no reason at all whatsoever no. and then i'm in bed and i'm like hmm i i really i'd be down to like <laughs> fuck my boyfriend right now and then my my dick is just like mm, no well i mean there's <laughs> another other things, time there's so many other things you can do but yeah sometimes it just writes you just want a bone for like a, a rain check <laughs> i owe like, you yeah. yeah oh my god okay let's take a break attention service and sex industry workers Seeking Space Yoga is dedicated to providing a holistic option for after your weekend shift at 3am on Saturdays and 4am on Sundays. These special Sin Yin classes are meant to help you wind down and improve overall health. Need a little motivation? Your first Sin Yin class is free and they offer 15% on all memberships and packages for those in the industry. Visit SeekingSpaceYoga.com or download the Seeking Space Yoga app for more information and to check out other industry-friendly class times. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. My name is Elle. You can find me on stripperwriter.com. John, where can people find you if you haven't been kicked off? Uh, Metric.cafe on Instagram. And then we're speaking with Dr. Roz. Dr. Roz is all kinds of things. She's the founder of the sex education certification program school that I went to. Uh, And you were such a good student. Thank you. (laughs) You were one of our star students. Oh, my God. Someone someone (laughs) called me a brown noser in there, but like with a smile. They're like, oh, Al, you're such a brown noser. I was like, Jesus. Wow. At least it's out there. Wow. All right. I know. It's okay. It turned out fine. (laughs) I was just very excited to be there. I know. Um, (laughs) You can contact Dr. Roz info at instituteforsexuality.com. So let's do some listener questions. That was the question I wanted to ask. Do you get, (laughs) are there some common inquiries you hear or themes like over and over again in terms of sex therapy for couples or partners, Roz? Definitely. um, Yeah, it's definitely the non-concordance of people's different uh, drives for sure. Mm -hmm. You know, desire (laughs) non-concordance, big problem with couples uh, and partners in general. One partner wants more, one partner wants less. And that can go on for a long, a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really the number one when it comes to people who are partnered. Um, hmm. every, you know, after that, it's just sort of anything goes. I get every question possible. And uh, <laughs> luckily, I have a lot of resources because I certainly don't know the answer to them all. But oh my gosh. when you said a desire non-concordance and I was like, is there such thing like is like diet non-concordance? Like when what you just you- had like 
Taco Bell, but you're gay. I don't eat Taco Bell. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a snob and I don't eat Taco Bell. I don't either, but like, I don't know. Mexican food. Yeah. Mexican food. You're just uh, like, I don't want to do anal for a day. Oh, that's what me. you're saying. <laughs> Again, I'm so glad that I don't poop out of my vagina because dealing with prep for butts is stressful. Yeah, it oh is. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, so she is a cis lady. He's a cis guy. They're both in their mid thirties. She says, my husband and I have been together for nearly seven years, lived together for four. We have always had a thriving sex life. On average, we would have sex, not just penis and vagina, mutual masturbation, oral, etc. Uh, so all kinds of things. About three to four times a week. Good, wholesome, dirty, consensual sex. I have recently started a new job with odd hours and he is asleep by the time I get home. So now we've gone from three to four times a week to maybe once a week. I'm at a loss on how to keep our sexual chemistry alive and active without the frequency of physical contact. I do not care for morning sex related to some trauma of mine years ago, so that is not an option. The new hours on this shift is only temporary, about three to five years estimated. Any advice on how to keep our fire ablaze without the frequency we once had and loved? Thank you. Mm. Oh, you know, it's so difficult when people are on different shifts like that. It's mm-hmm. really rough. And the it sounds very similar to like when people have young children. Mm. That's another one when people get pregnant and then ha- start <sighs> having little babies and mm-hmm. little kids. It's it's just everyone's exhausted. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're co-sleeping. Yes. I didn't masturbate for 12 days in a row because my living situation changed. My child's like, we can sleep together now. I was like, great. I love you. Let's snuggle. Why am I so pissed off all the time? <laughs> <laughs> I, I texted be i was like i haven't had an orgasm in 12 days and i just figured out why anyway (laughs) now we know why you're raging i know yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) so uh, a couple of things um not being able to have morning sex um, because of a trauma we might want to start there so there are some really amazing trauma therapies out there now there didn't used to be we used to think as therapists that the best thing to do was to talk about what happened Mm. and now we find out that that's one of the worst possible things we can do right you don't want people to shut down and never tell anyone what happened but in but reliving a trauma is not necessarily the thing that is going to heal it. Um, Having someone hear your trauma once and understanding a little bit about it and getting a little distance from it can help, can work. But after that one time when you've, you've, you've expressed, Hey, this is what happened. It can be counterproductive Mm -hmm. because you're essentially reliving and you're re-traumatizing yourself while you're doing it. So what we've learned is that trauma therapy is really about pleasure and getting back into the pleasure of the moment meaning I'm here now, I'm not then now, I'm not there now, I'm not with that person or those people or whoever it is that created the trauma and being conscious of the moment. And there are therapies that will help the person bring up the memory of what happened while they are anchored in the present. One of the most commonly known is EMDR. Mm-hmm. There is literally research at this point that shows that that's an excellent trauma therapy. Uh, no, what my therapist for my childhood, she wants me to do a step-by-step narrative like therapy. And I'm like, that just sounds like going detail by detail. Yeah. Which is, she's like, yeah, if you can get to like the root of it all. And I'm like, uh, that doesn't sound, yeah. See, that's what you're just saying. You're like, that isn't necessarily what you want to do. I don't want to, I don't want to, um, (laughs) 
I'm afraid to say something because I really don't want to uh, be negative about your therapist. Oh no, especially not at all. if they've been. I tell them all the time that I yeah. But my mm-hmm. thing is that I was yeah. a therapist and I did that too, right? Well, yeah. let's go back and talk about it, right? Yeah. And what I didn't know was that that was not doing any good. And and I'll tell you how I figured it out because I watched people who yeah. kept going back into their you know, kept going back and back and back and trying to figure out the trauma. And actually, that's in my book, Um, Al, thanks for Mm, mentioning it. But mm -hmm. I talk about how the re-bringing back of that time is not going to help. Yeah, to Um, me, I can sense that it feels like more harm than help. So I avoid it preemptively. Tell your therapist that. Yeah, no, I have in like that I don't want to necessarily do that. But she's like, we're going to do some plans for some art therapy. And then the art therapy worked out well. Yeah, That's art therapy cool. would be great because it's going to um, keep you in your body. Anything yeah. that is not putting you back in your head. Yeah. Right. But uh, but yeah, I know the, the narrative like step by step therapy one. I'm like, mm, that one sounds like something not for me. But Good. Um, don't do but that. I mean, okay. Everyone has a different. Uh, yeah. So to this lady. So you were saying. Yeah. I mean, why not kinds? heal the trauma? Yeah. So right? EMDR. It, like. So EMDR somatic experiencing. But here's the key. Make it a person who has a certification in those things. Everybody can say, "Oh, I do EMDR," but if you're not certified, that that means that we don't, we can't tell if you actually know what you're doing, mm-hmm. right? So make sure that the, your therapist is a certified EMDR person. Or there's also something called somatic experiencing. There's a certification for that. Those are two things where they're literally practicing. People can talk about a trauma, but while they do, there's going to be a presencing that happens where they're brought back to the present moment to remind them that they are not there and bring, it's not a mind thing, it's a body thing, right? It's Mm -hmm. a body-mind thing where your body is now aware because what happens with trauma is that your body starts to go into overdrive, right? Mm -hmm. You start to think or feel that as if you're back in the trauma when you're shaking or you're being, you know, whatever's happening to you and your body starts to react in the sympathetic nervous system turns on. And what EMDR and some of these other therapies do is they, they have your body turn on the parasympathetic nervous system while you're thinking about the trauma itself. And it really helps to heal the trauma. There are other trauma therapies that are starting, we're starting to see that work, but that would, that'd be the first thing that I would recommend because you're talking three to five years until you can be back (laughs) on the same shift. You could be divorced by then. And I don't mean to scare this person, but the truth is a lot of marriages are not going to last three to five years of that kind of stress. And, and on the other and you know, sort of on the flip side, wouldn't you just want to, wouldn't you rather heal that trauma? So that's one, one thing. Yeah. The other thing on, on practical levels are things you might hear else elsewhere, like mm-hmm. send your partner a really sexy text, you know, yeah. get each other going before they come home. And um, there's that heightening of the anticipation of, hey, we're going to have sex tonight or we're going to we're going to do this, you know, sexy behavior tonight. And the more that you can kind of heighten the anticipation of that, Mm -hmm. the more likely that you can charge each other up, even if you're tired. Mm -hmm. I used to me and B would have we still do this sometimes, actually. We've only been together two and a half years, but um, we will send each other just like a number of how many hours until we can see each other again. Oh, that's Aww. so nice. Yeah, so it's like a fun little countdown, but sometimes a little perplexing because I'm like, 25? Oh, you know, <laughs> 11, what? Um, yeah, the sexting, Aww. so do the sexting stuff if you can. Um, the frequency of physical contact, maybe get a comfort item. Like, that really helped me because, um, so B had to move out of the house for a work thing, and it was it was very, it, 
it really shook us for a minute and we had to remind ourselves our relationship was okay. We just couldn't be around each other a touch as much. So kind of similar, but I definitely took more time to like swaddle myself in blankets and like hug things. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it smells like your partner. Oh my God. Yes. We used to, uh, partner and I, we used to trade t-shirts. So we would Mm. sleep in a t-shirt. And then we would give we would give each other the T-shirt that we slept I love in, that. and yes. then you know because we didn't live together. You need to do that, yeah. And it, 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 you know that smell of somebody has slept in a shirt. It mm-hmm. lasts for three or four days. You know, <laughs> yummy armpits. Yeah. If you love the person or like the person or care for the person, yummy armpits. If you don't, gross. <laughs> <laughs> there's just an there's just an essence of them. You know, no. even if, if even if it's not armpit smell, there's just mm-hmm. that that. Yeah, that scent. Mm-hmm. If my boyfriend uh, goes to school, uh, I'll just like lay my head on his pillow and just like take a deep inhale. I'm just like, it's like I'm sleeping there like he was like hours ago. And I'm just like, ah, life is get good. That, that reminder of the person. It's mm-hmm. really nice and relaxing. I like that you pointed out that you could be divorced in that time three to five years. Because when I read this question, I was like, wow, that's really cool. They're very committed and they feel optimistic like about their longevity. Yeah. But the strain of not getting your needs met can really yeah. disrupt people. When yeah. I read only temporary three to five years estimated, I'm like, whoa, first of all, we have way different ideas of time spans. Like, <laughs> I've, I'm, I've only been alive for like 22. So five years would be like a quarter of my life. Yes. Um, but like, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, that sounds like something that wouldn't be sustainable in the long run. And I would either put sex on a schedule where you're able to like get it to whatever you wanted a week, which was like, it's on like it was three to four times maybe you can do at least two times scheduled a week and then the rest just happens naturally or doesn't happen but you're getting your minimum and then the other option is uh, like dr rosa chavez said to work on your traumas and to if it's going to be three to five years i mean you you may have solved that problem um quote-unquote problem before that you know uh time change of like three to five years is even over so why not work on it since you're going to have to anyway and stuff could change too what if the sleeping schedule goes longer yeah oh something uh i like to suggest to couples is to if you if you watch porn you can send a link to their phone or wherever it's safe with like a timestamp of something Mm -hmm. you really liked like yeah. I just watched this or let's watch this together yeah. at 1205. Ooh. Yeah. Or like next time when we get to look at this timestamp and I would request this activity. Mm-hmm. I wish I could do that. But uh, since not? I only watch Tumblr amateur porn, which gets <laughs> deleted within 24 hours of being uploaded. Um, Basta. Everything I experience is very ephemeral. <laughs> well, that's I'm like, nice too, though, by the time it? my boyfriend gets the link, it'll be broken. Like, <laughs> What did you say, Ross? I said, that's kind of nice, though, because that's then fun. there's an urgency. Oh, yeah. you have to look at this within 24 hours or it goes away. Or I else, like that. Or actually. else the Tumblr algorithms are taking it. <laughs> that's funny. When I sell porn uh, yeah it is sad because it's true yeah when I sell porn the way I do it I send it through a transfer website and you have to download it within a few days if you want to keep it so I always tell my buyers you know you have within whatever and I can always see them like download it immediately (laughs) (laughs) good job (laughs) mission impossible music starts um All right. So do we feel like we kind of gave some tools to that question? Yeah, I think so. All right. John, can you read the next one? So we got a second question. How do you not let trauma, parentheses, sexual assault, hold you back in sexual relationships when you've considered yourself a sexual being up until the traumatic event? Do you have any self-care suggestions or tips about how to have conversations about trauma with your partner? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
That's a big ask, but we'll try. <laughs> yeah. So again, some of the best things you can do for yourself is to let your partner know and have some strategies for yourself before you have that conversation with them so they don't feel at a loss, like they have to take care of your trauma, right? Oof, that's so good. Right? So you own your trauma and you say, this happened to me. I'm not going to let it hold me back, but it does impact me sometimes. I'm going to need to let you know sometimes when I'm experiencing you know, some of it. But here's the thing. Um, you can use what you might think of as a safe word, right? Except that maybe you call it, I don't know, um, not, I wouldn't call it a safe word, I would call it something else. But you could use signals that you're feeling trauma, you know, you're feeling that trauma the same way that you would with a safe word, mm -hmm. so that you don't have to necessarily interrupt what's going on. But your partner could maybe just pause while you presence yourself in the room. Mm -hmm. And again, the more that you can feel completely fully present and look around the room and literally just say, there's a plant, there's a mirror, yeah. you know, what time is it? I'm looking at a, you know, maybe I'm looking at a clock radio yeah, across the room. DBT, a dialectical behavior therapy, grounding skills. Yes. Like yeah. DBT mm. uses that. Uh, somatic experiencing uses that. And essentially you're talking about a mindfulness, but you're really, what you're doing is you're embodying yourself here now to yeah. remind your brain that your body is no longer in danger yeah. and if you have some kind of a signal that you can give your partner and your partner immediately stops what they're doing so that you can you know take care of yourself in that way it will empower you so you don't feel like something went off the rails and you didn't have a choice the same way that a lot of times has ha right if you have a sexual assault what happened to you was something you couldn't control, right? Mm -hmm. If I say the word blue and that's my stop word, if you will. Code word signal. Yeah, my code word. Let's come up with a name for that, L. We should come up with a name for that. But if I say blue <laughs> and you pause what you're doing for a moment and I look around and I do my presencing, I now feel empowered. I now realize, oh, no, I have control of this situation. And I also have a partner who cares. Mm -hmm. I have a partner who has stopped so that I can care for myself. Mm -hmm. So this puts less pressure on the partner and it puts more power in your own hands. Mm -hmm. And it's totally reasonable to, I love what you said about explaining that this exists but you're not expecting them to take care of all of it but it's totally reasonable to have a partner who's willing to participate in this way with like these simple instructions and requests yeah. so the the rub comes if you it gets, I can imagine, a little more complicated for people who maybe do all the things you just suggested and then find their partners not supportive. Because yeah. it's at that point when you have to be like, mm, this isn't someone you can safely play with. Right. And yeah. on top of it, do you really want to re-traumatize yourself with a partner who's not listening to you? Yeah. You're yeah. That's going to be just hell on you. Yeah. Then it'll be just that much more difficult for you to get over that trauma mm -hmm. or get through it, as I like to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've had, I've had a couple boyfriends... Um, when I was younger, it's been years, but I've definitely had a couple boyfriends that were like, you know, I understand you were raped, but like at some point you're going to have to get over it, <laughs> wow. which I understand like the thought is like, I, you don't want to live in this forever, but that's not productive. Yeah. Right. And certainly not something to say. And not helpful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and they need somewhere to talk about how tough it is for them, but that's not, but with you is not always the best place no. to do that. Right. Because a lot of times partners will come in and they'll feel like, oh, that's the last thing I want to do and I want to help this person get over it or get through it. And they can't because it's your job, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they can be they can be loving, they can be 
kind about it, they can be patient, etc. But they actually need their own forum for what it's like to be with someone who is traumatized so that they don't talk, you know, basically lay it back on you in the way that your partner did. Mm -hmm. I I know a social worker who says that he likes to do 100% of his half in a partnership. So he's like, yeah, right. He's like, I can't do all of it for you, but I will do everything in my half. You have to do everything or you can do everything in yours. There's a saying where I live now that I love. People say, stay in your own hula hoop. (laughs) <laughs> and i love that instead it's, of lane yeah i mean it, essentially you know you if you imagine a hula hoop around yourself it's like oh this is my hula hoop yeah. you know this mm-hmm. is so let's look more at this question so we kind of covered um how to have conversations about trauma with your partner self-care suggestions uh, I mean, that can just range really depending on the person. I like journaling, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, if my head is spinning a million miles an hour. I think, Roz, you said something like this, too. You you would have like active brain at night and that meant that you had energy you needed to get out or expend in a way. Yeah. One of the things that I like to do with myself is if I tune into my energy and I feel like a lot in my chest, for instance, right? This is one of those things that people with anxiety are often feeling like really a lot of energy in their chest. And of course, that gets translated as fear. Mm. And whether it is or whether it isn't is not necessarily uh, as important as saying, wow, there's a lot of energy in my chest, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes if we take the judgment off of it and we say, instead of using the word anxiety, we say, wow, I'm just feeling a lot in my chest right now. And we tune into that and just feel it without judgment and then say, what could I do with this energy? Mm -hmm. You know, instead of, oh, I have too much energy in my chest and I'm terrified, we'd say, well, wait a minute, there's just a lot of energy in my chest. So what could I do with it? You could move it through the floor. You could move it up through your head. Mm -hmm. I recommend the floor, like down into the earth. You could put it into your hands and then shake your hands out really hard. I love these embodiment. Yeah, it helps really hard. It helps a lot. Sometimes you can literally jump up and down. It sounds kind of silly. It works so well. It works so well. It works so well. You, You know, the more you think about something the worse it gets. But if you just let your body, your body is a genius. Your body is a genius. Your body knows what it needs. And if you just take a few suggestions of like, hmm, what can I do with my body right now? There's too much energy in it. Forget about labeling it anxiety or fear or panic. Instead, just say, okay, oh my gosh, lots of energy. Where can I put it so that it's not taking over my body mm-hmm. hmm. yeah you know i tell him to go for a run all the time <laughs> you know pound yeah. it out or whatever but no you i mean i've been crying on the floor in some of your movement exercises and training dr Roz, and mm-hmm. it yeah it felt so good because it was really like low the lights put on some nice music don't worry about anybody else around you we're all doing our own thing and just mm-hmm. feel what needs to happen and i was like oh my god i want to cry and i'm having all these creative epiphanies and shit's <laughs> cracking and i feel like i'm in the womb you know That's amazing it was amazing yeah i'm like it's two o'clock in a hotel like room somewhere <laughs> it's fine <laughs> you know with all these strangers oh so good i tell um girls at the club too i'm like if you get really pissed and you don't want to be stomping around the floor or like you're upset something happened go jump up and down in the in the dressing room yeah you it know? works yeah. yeah it works um <laughs> the other thing that i love l is that fuck that meditation do you remember we did that all right, maybe we can post this on your website Ooh, for your yeah, podcast. Yeah, this can be our extra. Okay, so it's hilarious. Go it's to so Patreon. Good. We'll talk about this after. Yeah, that's exciting. It's on YouTube. It's a very simple meditation, but it makes you laugh, oh, and laughter is really healing. Really healing. Get you totally out of that trauma and into your joy. 
Mm-hmm. Pleasure is healing. That's a tantric principle. And it's, and it's being used now, um, not as such, not sort of explicitly those words, but the idea that the more pleasure that we feel, the more healing we can, we can have in our lives. Mm-hmm. There's a quote in the uh, Art of Everyday Ecstasy by Margot Anand. Remember that hippie lady? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I've definitely found some things in there that I like, and then some other things that I'm like, oh, this is silly. Um, but she said, elegant people are in love with life. And I thought, is that why I'm so awkward? <laughs> but you are elegant. I E L L E You are. Uh, you are. You're very elegant. I don't know if you know that, but you oh, are. Oh, thank you. Well, don't you think so, John? I'm doing. I agree. Well, I've seen her also dance on stage, and even outside of like Lucky Devil, she's she's got like the walk. Mm-hmm. I appreciate all of your support, but no, I heard that quote, and I was like, oh, because life is very painful when you feel awkward and 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 negative, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm I'm always just happy to find inspiration. Thank you for all of these tips. Let's take another break. Are you looking to advertise your product or service to a growing worldwide audience? StrangeBedfellowsPDX.com wants to hear from you. Contact us, StrangeBedfellowsPDX at gmail.com to learn about affordable website and social media advertising. Whether your business is big, small, or weird, we offer sliding scale and affordable advertising. Email strangebedfellowspdx at gmail.com to partner with us today. Welcome back to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. Find us on strangebedfellowspdx.com. Thank you so much for rating or reviewing us on your listening app. That helps us greatly expand. Uh, so let's talk about some news shit. This is from May of 2019. So a lot of people heard of Viagra. Uh, not as many, but I think a lot of people have also heard of Cialis. So it's an erectile dysfunction drug, erectile difficulty drug, ED drug, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and some scientists are now saying that it could be used to reverse the progression of heart failure. Wow. Hmm. So... We are always skeptical of big pharma, (laughs) you know, (laughs) rightfully so. And we follow what we can uh, that comes out in the news. So it says that senior author Andrew Trafford, and this is an article from cardiovascularbusiness.com, which I didn't know was a website, but makes sense that it is. So this is an article. Yeah. Viagra-like sex drug, also effective as HF therapy, heart failure therapy by Annika Slatcha. This is not surprising to me, by the way. Yeah, tell me why. Because Viagra, the way they discovered Viagra was that they were testing out a heart drug. Mm. And what happened was they had all these heart patients and these heart patients were on a trial, a drug trial for this stuff. And um, they kept coming back asking for more when the trial was over. Oh they were really God. into it. Oh and the doctors were like, what's going on? And they said, I, this is, I'm harder than I've been in years. I'm having the best sex of, you know, that I've had since I was 25. And they're saying, whoa. And they found out by accident in this way. So the thing about the penis is the penis is smooth muscle. And the heart is also smooth muscle. Same thing with the vagina, by the way. And so the thing about this is that... When you have smooth muscle, and and this is why you have to be careful when you're taking Viagra that it actually can create some heart issues, um, depending on what's 
up with your body and your own health. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you take something that is going to be good for the penis, it could possibly affect the heart, possibly positively, possibly negatively. Mm-hmm. I remember working at the porn shop and we sold a lot of those erectile assistants, like the herbal pills. And uh, I remember there was two in particular that were very popular, but we sold about five different kinds. And the most popular ones were supposed to be the strongest and most effective and they cost slightly more. Um, the secondary most popular one, I was advised to warn that you might experience some heart palpitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That but people are like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you will. Once they start, I've had heart palpitations a lot before in the past and uh, they're not fun. No, they're scary. <laughs> oh my God. So yeah. it says that according to information from the U.S. National Library of Medicine, uh, Cialis isn't used only to treat impotence. It's also an approved therapy for easing the symptoms of benign prostatic hyperplasia. I don't even know what that is. Prost- prostatic hyperplasia? Is that the prostate? Yeah. And, and I don't want to speak out of turn. I can't remember exactly what it means, but it's definitely, you know, prostate issues. Okay. So it says the drug treats also pulmonary arterial hypertension by relaxing the blood vessels in the lungs, allowing blood to flow more easily. So probably what's happening is when you take this medication, a lot of things happen Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're going to benefit you depending on where your baselines already are or what's lacking or what you have excess. So I or don't possibly be a problem. Oh yeah. Or could be a problem. Yeah. So I feel like there could be some room for error in this being diagnosed. Well, here's the thing. It's reading one article and the media splashes that one article everywhere. Well, what we really need is a body of research. Mm-hmm. And so the question is, do we have a body of research about this particular effect that they're claiming that it has. And we probably don't have that yet. We probably have one significant study. Maybe it's a larger study. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's hyping it up. But it really, if it's only one study that shows it, we need a lot more studies in order to know whether or not that's the case. Certainly. And it says that this one was conducted on sheep. Sorry, John. Yeah, John loves I, I read that part people. and I just skipped past it. I was like, it's fine. No. <laughs> just pretend the sheeps had nice, relaxed hearts and big boners. Okay? Aren't you both vegan? I'm not vegan. Oh, okay. I'm just very just vegan, vegan friendly. Okay. Yeah, I'm vegan when I'm around him the most. <laughs> um, she hides the butter. It's okay. I do. I pushed <laughs> the salami to the back of the fridge before you came over. Um, no, I have to say, though, since I have cut back on eating meat just in general while we're on the topic, I feel better. Like my bowel movements are just more comfortable. My skin has cleared up. Um, So I feel like there's a lot of things people could do for their erectile and their circulation issues in general. Definitely when it comes to erectile issues, because um, the more cholesterol and arterial plaque that you have, um, the more you're going to have difficulty having a boner as you get older for uh, anyone with a penis. Yeah. Um, And uh, that's going to stand out, especially in elderly age where like you have to start taking like medications to try and block or like reverse like cholesterol and yeah but people don't change their diets either no. um you ever seen that commercial with larry the cable guy and he's like i take prilosec so i can eat whatever i want oh, God. It's like well you're still gonna have diarrhea and yeah. like heart failure but yeah. whatever at least you're that's comfortable. when i like i i have like that problem with like i don't know when i hear people being like i take pepto-bismol all the time like yeah. daily and i'm like i don't think but you're, you're supposed still to eating take nachos. it three times a day like 
I'm, I'm just yeah, like, it depends. It's a time for a switch up or an analysis of diet. Like. Well, that's something. And like, I worked in the pharmacy, you know, as a as a as a youth at seventeen, eighteen. It was one of my first jobs, just as a clerk. I got my sister a job there. She's now a pharmacy tech. And I we I've talked about this a little bit, but working at a pharmacy was really um, impactful for me because I got a lot of experience witnessing how people put medication in their bodies mm-hmm, and they yeah. don't necessarily look at the side effects or well what yeah. bothers me is how little actual diagnosis happens anymore at all mm. right and in a way doctors they're kind of hamstrung they have what 10 minutes to meet with a patient yeah how do you diagnose someone in 10 minutes mm-hmm. so there really is no there's no nuance to diagnosis and there's no, the art of diagnosis has gone by the wayside. Just give them a drug, just give them a drug. And the patients themselves are like, Hey doc, I want this. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they are being marketed to directly by pharma, yeah. which in other countries is illegal. Mm-hmm. Ask your doctor if insert here is right for you. Right. Mm-hmm. And in many other countries, you're not allowed to do that mm-hmm. because exactly for that reason, people then say, well, this is what's wrong with me. And they've had, a, you know, they've had absolutely no uh, training and diagnosis of themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, excuse me. They've yeah. seen a 30 second commercial that yeah. should be enough for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and there's my <laughs> symptoms. So that must be what's wrong with me. And I'm know? like, that's also the symptoms for 5 billion other things, <laughs> including cancer, but we don't see you getting chemotherapy. So it's like, calm down, take a step back and like analyze stuff. I, my mother is a like oh. hypochondriac. And like, so I've grown up dealing with that. And um, she was, it was way worse when she had me first. It's getting better now with my sister. But, um, but yeah, no, I definitely have had that where I'm like, my mom will be like, oh, like, grasping there's one tiny thing, like, better. wrong. Like, yeah. But she's at this funny place where she also doesn't believe in, like, a lot of, like, Western medicine. So, like, she goes, she'll be like, there's a problem. We need to treat it right away. But also, no antibiotics because that'll <sighs> fuck up your intestinal flora. And I'm like, well, I think she has a UTI and she might need to take some. And my mom's like, okay, well, only if it's an emergency. Like, God, <laughs> yeah. Your mom's gotten taken by some of the um, con artist hippies. Yeah, for God, sure. Yeah. Yeah, she has um, a guru shaman. And I was like, okay, mom, that's fine. So long as your other therapist is like a licensed therapist. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I'll have one licensed one and one unlicensed one. And I'm like, there's a reason that one of them is paid for by insurance. Like, oh, my God. So uh, the guy on this study with the sheep hearts says... <laughs> that this generic for Cialis is, quote, a widely used and very safe, quote, drug with a few serious side effects. But he said he advises patients speak with their physicians before attempting to self-treat with it. How can it be very safe if there are serious side effects? Yeah, I know. But there are very I'm, few serious side effects. It, it may just few? kill you and not do other things. It said, <laughs> yeah. It just give you a heart attack. I mean, what, what does that mean? I don't know. A widely used and very safe drug with few serious side effects. Good times. No. That's so, like when they... <laughs> so here's another article. medication on TV, and then there's just this wonderful little spiel about how it'll improve your life, and then 40 seconds of like, this is all the different ways this may kill you. Yeah. Like, but Blood there's clots. a puppy and a mixed race family, so it's like, it's okay. Let us throw everything we can at you to distract you. A puppy and a mixed race family. <laughs> Is, is that uh, not lots all, of sunshine, like, golden sunshine? Don't Gold, forget the golden sunshine. Lots of sunshine. A yeah. woman like with there's we don't know where the wind is coming from, but her hair is blowing. She's indoors. She's shopping. And the sweet <laughs> and the sweet gentle happy music that's always yeah. playing. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. at least three Labradors. So here's another article, and this one is one of those ones that I saw it, and this might happen for you, Roz, but we can talk about your process because you have to look, you have to consume so much media. But so I read this, and I thought I roll, and then I thought, well, that's good. They 
printed it and then I eye rolled again. Study indicates <laughs> mental arousal may be more important for women with low sexual desire. Oh, really? <laughs> when did they figure this out? Shocker. This they on- finally talked to some women? <laughs> Cypost.org. So it's, you know, it's a fluffy clickbait. But so they 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 referenced a study published in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy. And it says new research suggests that subjective feelings of arousal may be particularly important for women with sexual desire and arousal difficulties. Subjective feelings. So like dependent. The study published in Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy found that women with lower sexual desire tended to have a stronger alignment between their physical and mental arousal. I wonder if they did this study on men or if this was a one-sided study. Um, It looks like it was just on women. We studied sexual concordance, the alignment between genital arousal and mental or subjective sexual arousal, and how this alignment is related to sexual functioning, said Kelly Sachinsky, a postdoctoral fellow at Queen's University. Well, here's my thing about this article. Um, I actually do think that that's important research because even though I, I made sort of a snarky remark at the beginning of it, it's good to have that body of research that continues to be developed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I have a couple of questions about it. I mean, mm-hmm. the first one is, why wouldn't we all want to be able to be more connected, mind, body, heart, Right. Where we have a concordance between what's going on in our heads and our hearts and our and our bodies. And when I say our hearts, I don't want I don't want to make it sound like everyone has to be in love to be sexual. But I mean, what about being playful? What about being friends? What about just liking the person that you're with? (laughs) I mean, that's kind of a kind of a bonus, isn't it? Mm -hmm. So there's that. But there's also, you know, one of the things that I get a little um frustrated with is that there's very little, very, very little um, research done on cis men in particular, because there's this assumption that they're just always horny. They're always, they're always hard. They're always this, they're always that. And that's uh, largely because most of the research that's been done on sexuality in the past has been done on college students. You're talking about Mm -hmm. men between the ages of 18 and 22, Mm -hmm. right? Traditionally. And that's a very specific population, right? They're at the mm-hmm. peak of their fertility yeah. and not necessarily the peak of their sexual lives because, hey, yeah, you know, not. coming in 30 seconds is not necessarily a peak, right? <laughs> right? This is where we go back to Kinsey, you know, oh, well, sexual peak, men, men peak in their, you know, their early 20s or something. Well, only if you count how many orgasms they have. That's That was Kinsey's measure. Mm. How many orgasms you could have in a certain period of time. What makes that a sexual peak? No. Does that even some, mean like, that the person orgasms is... orgasms and some fantastic ones. Yeah. Sometimes far and few between. Like, it's just, yeah, that seems like a bad measurement for... It's a very bad measurement. It's a great measurement for fertility, mm. but it's not sure, necessarily yeah. a good measurement for pleasure yeah, or true. mutual pleasure. Well, even you, for fertility, you'd still have to take into account sperm count and things like that. So Yeah. I mean, you know, basically you've got a lot of different shots to get someone <laughs> pregnant, right? That's true. You know, I, suppose, I mean, yeah. it's now it's more than one. So, you know. <laughs> Do you um, want to hear how they conducted this study? Of course. Did you know they, me. I'm yeah. a total geek. Go for it. Electrical rods until they came. Kind of. Um, no. They, <laughs> so it doesn't say their ages, but it says in a study of 64 women, Participants watched a sexually explicit video and continuously reported their feelings of sexual arousal while a device monitored the physiological reactions of their genitals. This allowed the researchers to compare the women's subjective arousal with physical signs of arousal. So you have to believe that they're reporting honestly and accurately. 
Well, that's one thing, but here's why they did this study. I can almost guarantee it. <clears throat> because what they used to do is hook women up to these devices that, you know, are supposedly measuring their arousal. And really what they're measuring is their genital response, hmm. right? And so what hmm. they would say is, well, these women are getting wet while mm. they're watching this porn and then they're saying they're not turned on. Therefore, women don't know when they're turned on. Mm. Wow. And this is where that whole arousal non-concordance thing comes in is so important is that just because your genitals are wet does not mean that you are turned on. Your body may have an evolutionary response which is protective and essentially it's like, let's say I hate Thai food, mm -hmm. right? And this is by the way, Emily Nagoski's uh, work, but let's say I hate Thai food but I'm hungry and I walk past a Thai restaurant, my mouth is gonna water. Mm. It doesn't matter that I hate that food. My mouth is still gonna water because it's relevant to f eating. Yeah, right? mm. it and triggers the same part of your brain. Right, and it's the same thing with this is that you had women who were getting wet and other signs of physical arousal because they were watching sexually relevant material and then saying they weren't aroused. So the reason this study is important is because they're saying, well, what about when we do ask them if they're aroused? Mm, then mm -hmm, what happens? Mm -hmm. So it's actually important research, and uh, I'd love to see it replicated. Sachinsky says, Interestingly, women with high and low desire showed similar degrees of genital arousal and mental sexual arousal. This suggests that poor or impaired genital or mental sexual responses alone may not affect sexual functioning in our sample of women. Hmm. What do you think? I wonder how they <laughs> determined which sexually explicit video it was. Because what if it's just not to your taste? Exactly. That's a lot of it. I mean, do they choose? Do, do these women get to choose their own porn for one thing? Mm -hmm. Right? Because I'd rather watch a romantic, sexy thing happening. Mm -hmm. That's just my, those are my, that's my favorite kind of sexual script. I am not interested. I mean, I can get into it, but I'm just not that interested in just watching not random... immediate punching and choking. No, here's your pizza. <laughs> Here we go. You know, and it's, it's not my thing. You know, I'm much more into um, there's some kind of relationship between these two people, and then something happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like right? tension. I find like a lot of intimacy in amateur porn, where there's like, and I don't necessarily mean like it doesn't even have to be like high quality, like, you know, filmed like by a phone on the side of the bed or like by a camera. Like, I mean like amateur porn in the sense that like someone may have just whipped out their iPhone mm. and like with the consent of the other person. Spontaneous. Hopefully. So the real um, energy was yeah. there. And I'm just like, that's really odd. Yeah. Like, because I feel like a connection there because between those two people and then you can latch onto that. Well, and you're and also um, seeing actual arousal. You're yeah. not seeing, you're not seeing, faked arousal yeah. for the purpose of exactly and it feels something. a lot more primal too because you're like this is a person just like me who just had their phone in their hand and they were experiencing something that i'm able to also experience mm -hmm. and then they recorded it to mm -hmm. share with everyone that's really hot we need more of it well let me say so we'll do one more we'll uh wrap this up about this study the researcher Suchinsky said so the mental experience of arousal or feeling turned on in one's mind may contribute one's body getting turned on, particularly in women with low sexual desire. So it's like what well, you sex said. therapists have known this forever. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, read right. more erotica. Exactly. This is what we do. It's, it's sort of a standard first, first question about, you know, for, for women in particular who come in and say, I have no arousal. And of course now for people of all genders, but if you look into the history of how we treated this. One of the simplest things is to say, do you fantasize? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people will say no. Mm -hmm. And they don't even know where to start. 
And so you give them books of erotica and you say, here, here's this kind of erotica, here's this kind, here's this kind, um, everything from romance novels to uh, Nancy Friday uh, and all of her books to, you know, kinky erotica, because a lot of women respond more to the written type of erotica um, mm-hmm. than... Um, it, it's it's just more common for women to respond to that, which is why Fifty Shades of Grey went through the roof. Bleh. I know, I know. Do you remember? I wish I could. Emily Nagoski wrote some erotica under a, a different pen name. Oh yeah, I actually read it. It was a great book. Can, can you recall what her author name is? Uh, no, but we can look it up. It was okay. a good book. Oh yeah. dang. Okay, yeah. Let's. And it was hot. And it was yeah. all consensual and well I wanna, negotiated. Wild concept. That's what I. <laughs> that's what I'm wanting people who can hear this episode. Like, can you think of any erotica places to go? I always say Cleis Press, C L E I S uh, Press dot com. But there, uh, that's a publisher. So if you can think of any other specific authors, I like literotica dot com. Literotica, L I T E R O T I C A. Yeah. Um, and as far as authors, well, I like story, right? Mm-hmm. So you can go to Laurel K. Hamilton if you like kink. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of really great kink. If you're a poly or non-monogamous, Laurel K. Hamilton wrote a whole series called the Faye series, I think. It was, it, it's very poly, and so are a lot of her uh, other books in her vampire series. I think it's Anita Blake, Vampire Hunter, or something like that. Mm. Um, those, are, those have story attached, um, Nancy Friday is kind of a traditional one. So if you have, uh, women who are maybe 40 and up, they might identify a little bit more with that. The only thing I don't like about Nancy Friday is that Nancy Friday interprets fantasies. And so I just skip over those. Mm. <laughs> I just totally ignore her interpretation. I would do that too. Yeah. She, <laughs> because, you know, especially with some of the older books, she was constantly interpreting them in a psychological way. That's not necessary for no, me. No, <laughs> no. We just skip over those. What did you find, a, John? So I found out that apparently Emily Foster is the pen name for Emily Nagowski, a PhD sex educator. And one of her books is How Not to Let Go, which is book two in the Bellhaven series, which okay. I believe is her most recent one of that uh, Thank you. genre. Of Thank you both. That yeah. is so many, that's so much great suggestion for people to look up their own erotica because I get that question all the time. I'm like, I don't know. All right, cool. This was a great episode. Awesome. Um, thank, thank you again. You. So Dr. Roz, people can find more about you on the Institute for Sexuality.com. That's right. Yes, and all over the place. Uh, we're going to do our after show now, and we're going to, what is it? It's fuck that, fuck me- that Meditation. Oh, great, and you said it's on YouTube. And you can find Dr. Roz's book, The Deep Yes, The Lost Art of True Receiving, on Amazon.com. Thank you, Elle. Thank, Thank you, Elle. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to Strange Bedfellows Podcast. To find behind-the-scenes photos, bonus clips, and journals from your guests and hosts, type www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash strange bedfellows and join for only $1. Find us online at strangebedfellowspdx.com and Instagram at strangebedfellowspdx. You can find me, L Stanger, on stripperwriter.com and Instagram as L Stanger. Write your hate mail or sex and relationship questions to pillow talk at strangebedfellowspdx.com and find me, John, on Instagram at metric.cafe. 
Please rate and review our show on your favorite listening app. Thanks for supporting sex education and freedom of expression.